it's even when you asked me at the beginning, I, um, who, who are you? What do you do? Mm-hmm. I paused for a second because I think I'm getting more used to not, even though I did it, I'm getting more used to not describing myself in terms of what I do mm. because I'm not my career. And I think it, you, you get to a point or I got to a point where I had to separate myself from that a little bit. Hi, welcome to The Reveal Podcast, hosted by me, Denise Powell. Every season, I expect candid conversations with guests from all walks of life and no question being off limits. So make sure you come along for the journey as my guests reveal the highs, lows, and all that's in between. In this episode, I speak to Michelle Abusu, marketing lead at Channel 4 and director at Scene TV. We got candid about her childhood, breaking out of her comfort zone, and revealed the steps she took to break into the world of marketing. Want to know more? Listen as only the truth is revealed. Hi, everybody. Uh, Wow, we have come again to another episode of The Reveal. Uh, The individual who is before me is has many years in the industry that I'm about to talk about so I've actually written down some of the experience that she has because I didn't want to miss anything out so she is currently the marketing lead scripted for channel 4 director at scene tv and has over 13 years of experience in media and entertainment without further ado reveal podcast we Love to welcome you, Michelle Obusu. Ooh, I love that intro. Hey. And if the people were there, there'd be like an applause. Yeah, like, like yeah. for the crowd. <laughs> the crowd go wild. Um, thank you so much for doing this interview. Um, for Although I've given a, a synopsis, mm. for those who, what would you describe yourself as and who would you describe Who would you say you are? Yeah, I would say that I am a marketeer. Mm. I would say that I'm someone who's passionate about inclusion and diversity, especially within TV and film. Mm. Um, And I would say that I'm just a lover of all things creative and visual. I think that's where it all started, like uh, a love for what's on screen and storytelling. I think that's what marketing is essentially. It's telling a story to convince someone to do something or change their behavior or watch something. And that's something I've always been fascinated by. So yeah, inside and outside of work. I'm just fascinated by the human mind and what convinces people to do things. Yeah. Oh, I like that. <laughs> Marketer is a storyteller. Oh, I like that. Um, so the first section of the podcast is called Behind the Curtain. Mm. And Behind the Curtain really just goes into like your background, your childhood. Uh, so tell us a little bit about your childhood and how that got you to where you are now. And are there any particular stories that come to mind that... Uh, kind of help uh, paint a picture of who you are? Mm. Well, I would say, well, my heritage, I'm Ghanaian, so I was born here, born in the Detsel South, East London. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Ghanaian, all that. Um, 
South East London, parents are Ghanaian, um, but I visited Ghana quite a bit when I was a child. We used to go for like a six weeks holiday. And at the time, I hated it. But I think it was really good of my parents to do that and really connect me to my home, I guess, mm-hmm. place of origin. And I think I always grew up feeling really unapologetically black. Mm. The area that I lived in, in my primary school, there were probably two white girls in my class. Oh, wow. And the, then when I was secondary school, again, only three white girls in my class, like predominantly oh, black. Wow. College, I went SFX, one of the biggest colleges in South London. <laughs> where we met, where we met. Where we met, exactly. Again, <laughs> really black. My area of broccoli at the time, super black. So um, I think that... That really, as a child, solidified who I was. I grew up around a lot of my cousins, mm. a lot of my family members. So I don't ever really remember feeling different as a child because wow. I grew up surrounded by my community. Um, and I think that does give you a little bit of confidence in who you are. But it also shields you quite early from the rest of the world and what the world is really like. So I guess there's a naivety there. Um, and I think in watching TV, I, you, you see, I saw that growing up. I was, it was noticeable that I rarely saw myself on screen or someone that looked at me. Yeah. And it was really at odds. And I think, you know, having this really black world around me and then yeah. not seeing it on TV screen. And I love television growing up. I would sit in front of the TV all day long watching it. And, you know, like... I don't know if I get my parents in trouble, you know, they, like, they used to go to work when you were younger, yeah. <laughs> don't open the door for anybody. That was me just sitting in front of the TV watching everything I could. Um, but yeah, it was really weird not having seen that. And I remember I just ended up watching, obviously, a lot of the American shows and I fell in mm. love with them, like Fresh Prince of Elaine, Marisha, Sister, Sister. So yeah. that became my TV world. Um, and that was the way of me just, you know, making sure there was consistency in, you know, my world and then also what I loved on screen. Um, and then growing up and getting out of secondary school, college and going to uni, that was the first time sort of seeing the world as it was. Mm. And I think even personally for me, that was a shock, maybe to the system. Yeah. Um, Realising that, okay, now I'm the only black person in the room. Ooh. Or even, I'm in Aston Uni um, to study marketing specifically. And in my class, there were three black girls, and they were my friends, like, that was when I thought, wow, okay, this world is going to be quite different. Um, yeah. But yeah, essentially growing up, I was, I think I had a really cool childhood. My my parents, thankfully, I don't know, there's all these stereotypes around um, African parents and then pushing mm. you into certain careers. Um, they didn't, I didn't have that. Well, I tell a lie. <laughs> I knew which lines to sort of balance. And you have to learn how to like finesse your parents a little bit. So... I loved performing, actually. I wanted to be a dancer, funnily enough. Oh, wow. Like, I danced so much when I was younger. My mum and my parents really helped me. Like, they put me to gymnastics classes. Mm. I did um, contemporary and ballet classes when I was younger. Mm. I danced even in college. Like, I performed. I performed at Hackney Empire, did a performance there. So I was really into dance. And I remember going to college, I was like, my dad's like, okay, so what are are you coming to study? I was like, well, honestly, like, business. Honestly, English. Honestly, <laughs> like... Um, media and I wanted to dance and he was like eh okay well that does like what so that didn't happen 
Um, so I would say that was probably the only time I ever felt like my parents stifled me in what I wanted to do. <laughs> and in the depths of my soul, I really do feel like I could have been like a backing dancer for Beyonce if they just let me live my dream. But essentially, <laughs> I managed to find other ways to do dance. So that's just a lesson. Like if you can't do what your passion is, like in the way you want to do, there's other avenues. Mm. So still to this day, sometimes I go to dance classes and things like that. So there's a way to around that. But essentially, my parents never pushed me into the accountancy, the law, mm. the, um, medicine. Yeah, yeah. They were pretty much like, as long as you got, you have a job, and you're getting paid, and you're, it's a relatively all right job, and you're happy in it, then cool. But still, still to this day, I don't think my mum completely gets what I do. But because it's here, Channel 4, my daughter is for Channel 4. So she can step shout it about at church. <laughs> She's fine with that. But after what I do, and she'll be like, oh, she reads the news. I don't know. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, I think I had healthy parents in that, in that they just said, work hard, mm. focus on your books. Mm. And um, yeah, do you write by that? Don't come and embarrass me in the streets, <laughs> basically. Okay. Yeah, it's one of our us. You brought up a good point about like the fact that you engaged in watching TV really young and you had a passion mm. for TV really young, but there was obviously this what I what I will call as like a tension between what was your reality day to day and then what you were seeing on camera. So do you think there was a point where you thought I'm not seeing myself on camera or seeing people who are like me from a UK perspective and thus I wanted to help change that narrative. Definitely. I think that's what it was. I, I think, I think again, because I grew up in such a black environment, I became really confident in my blackness, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was almost like a, like a challenge that I embraced. Like, mm-hmm. no, that's not right. Yeah. Like, this is the world that I live in. I don't see that on screen and that's not right. Right. So there's that determinedness that I think I just had from really young, like a real can-do attitude that I don't, even to this day, I don't really see things as impossible or mm. I don't have that in my mind, like, oh, that's out of my reach or, oh, do you know what, I'm from South London, that's never going to be my reality. But it's just not a thing. If anything, it spurs me to be like, no, I'm going to change that, watch. So I think it's that attitude that made me think, think, Yes, even though I don't see myself on TV, mm. there was probably one person that maybe helped trigger that and make me feel like, okay, it is possible. And that's June Sarpong. I will wow. always shout that woman's praises because she was like on your screen on T4, like every single Sunday, watching the Hollyoaks, Hollyoaks Omnibus, interviewing all these, you know, celebrities, having fun, being herself as well, like laughing her big, bold laugh and just like, Wow, that, she's like my cousin or she's like my auntie. Like, <laughs> and look, this is like one of the first times to see someone just being themselves on TV. So I think as well as me being quite determined to think that I could challenge it, seeing June, I would say, made me think, okay, this it isn't completely impossible because she's there. Yeah. So that's why I feel like having those figures on screen is so important because it, even though I was determined, I think she probably tipped me over the edge. Right, okay. In terms of thinking it was possible. So how did you essentially get into the industry that you are now? Mm-hmm. So you've obviously mentioned that you studied marketing. I noted that you've also got a master's in marketing as well. So do you think that uh, education has helped you 
is it necessary? Because some people, for some creative industries say that you don't necessarily need to, but what's your perspective? Yeah, I would say for marketing, specifically in television, you don't need to, like, like you said, I've got a degree in marketing. I've got a master's in international marketing. I don't necessarily need it. <laughs> I mean, it's because I have foundation, but the people that I work with, people studied English, studied maths. Hmm. studies sociology psychology what helps you is it's good to have like a foundation and you could pick that up from doing courses hmm. um but what really helps you in the industry that i'm in is that passion and that that knowledge or that passion for storytelling um and experience and hmm. it's just collecting that, that experience as soon as possible and then probably um look at that more than academic achievements, I would say. Yeah. I would say that I've always been an academic person. I like studying. So for me to do a master's, it was never, a, I'm going to do a master's to help me in my career. It was, I'm going to do a right. master's because I like to study. I'm interested in the subject. Like I said, I'm fascinated about the way the mind works and what influences people. So for me, it was always, oh, let me do, I've got some time on my hands. Let me go do a master's because um, I was sort of in between jobs at that time. So I thought, let me just go back to school and study yeah. that and add another string to my bow. Um, but I will say things always work for the better good because in that circumstance where I did just go back to do my master's, it meant that I was just student. And then at the end of my master's, I had about like a three month window between handing in my dissertation and then officially graduating. Yeah. So I was able to go out to America on a student visa and do a, place, wow. a work placement at Teen Vogue magazine and a at a PR company called Mission PR. So again, on the off chance of doing my master's, which was taking the academic route, I was able to get some really valuable experience internationally as well. So I think that also also played out. But just generally, I I wouldn't want anyone to be deterred from a marketing career if they feel like they hadn't studied marketing. Mm. I think, you know, there's so many courses online that you can do to develop like a foundation in it. Yeah. And then, as I said, as long as you try to reach out to people to gain experience. And I knew, I think I knew that from quite early on. Yeah. So while I was at uni, um, I just, like, one of my jobs was something really local, like a property firm, just doing marketing for them. Yeah. Um, just on the, like, on the part-time basis. As mm-hmm. part of my uni degree, but we were able to do, like, a sandwich degree course as well, which allowed me to come back to London to do a placement at an events agency. Mm-hmm. Um. And then along the way, even after uni, I did a lot of contract work at places like the Mobile Awards, Galaxy Radio when it was around. Um, just anywhere that I could to grab those, you know, six months here, three months yes. here, even two yes. weeks here. Because mm. I knew like academic, academia was only going to get me so far in the industry that I wanted to be in. Um, so how did you break into, or how did you even go about knowing the places that you did start to intern at because mm-hmm. you know for some individuals they may be thinking that they want to either have a career change or they want to go into marketing or but they don't have any contacts so like mm-hmm. where, where do they begin where do they where do they start yeah I think it's a really cool question because I feel like sometimes people think I want to work in marketing or xyz industry and they go to the top firm and, and just like start emailing those people and like Oh, no, because that's the one that I know and I recognise, so let me go name there. But the event agency that I worked at, I Googled, I literally said, I Googled um, marketing, events, PR um, companies in London. Mm -hmm. And I just, once I Googled that, it just came up on a random search because of some work that they had done. Um, 
in that agency, there was like the MD and I think two other people mm. and then me, who I came on board and I worked there for a year. But because it was so small, I had got so, I had so much responsibility at such yeah. a junior level. Um, so I was going into meetings, I was negotiating like um, London Bar Week sort of deals with clubs and things like that. Or I was leading on, um, we launched Pro, Pro Evolution Soccer. So we had that console game, we were working for Konami who make that console game for PlayStation. And I had to arrange like a, a European championship in Ireland. And we had the creator flo- <laughs> flown in from Japan, I want to say. And I had to arrange like games and activities for them to do. And it was yeah. like a few hundred people who came down. And this is me just like, oh, what am I doing in this world? But it gave me such valuable experience. So I say to people, it's not always those big companies you should just aim for. A simple Google search to see who's in that area. Mm-hmm. And sometimes going for a smaller company will give you the most valuable experience because yeah. have a lot more responsibility. Yeah. A lot more. Because essentially, you just want to put things on your CV that you can talk about in an interview. Mm. So, yeah. yeah, you can go and be at a big company and then you do photocopying for the whole day. Mm. And then, so when you go to the interview, yeah, I work for XYZ. Oh, so what did you do there? Um, well, like, yeah, I literally just like photocopied some bits and pieces. <laughs> Versus going to a really small boutique and just mm-hmm. having lots of experience to say, like, I arranged a championship in Ireland for about 250 people yeah. for yeah. a console game, Previous Lucia Soccer. And then another part of that campaign was arranging a tournament with some football players at Emirates Stadium. So Thierry Henry came down, John Terry came down, Seth Fabregas came down. And to have that experience on your CV, it's just like, what? Yeah, yeah. And that was in a small agency. Um, mm. So I'd advise people to like think outside the box, as cliche as that sounds. Mm-hmm. Just got to be a bit creative and where you get that experience from, especially at the beginning. Because I think people always say it's a catch-22, like people mm. ask for experience, but how are you supposed to get experience? Yeah. And I think a way around that is going for those smaller companies, at least while you're starting out. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an easier way in. Yeah. What about uh, a time where you felt the fear and done it anyway? Oh. So I know that you're the director for Scene TV. So yeah. what was that like setting that up? But yeah. then well, the answer to questions doesn't even necessarily have to be involved with scene TV. Mm. But it'd be interesting to to maybe touch on both of those areas. Yeah, and it would be connected actually. Um, so scene TV started off as a blog, and again, this is maybe another lesson in that. I started scene TV when I wasn't working in TV, so it's before Channel Four, and I started it when I was working in project management at a charity, and it was public sector. We worked with the cabinet office. It was really like not what I wanted to be doing. Mm-hmm. So I started seeing TV as a way of my creative outlet because right. I talked about TV and diversity and inclusion. And then I thought, oh, let me interview some people in the industry. And I remember reaching out to um, Zai Bennett, who was the controller of BBC Three at the time. And just me, I'd say, hey, this is what I'm doing. It's about diversity and inclusion. Can I just interview like over email? And he was like, yeah, sure. Just a random yes. And then he brought in someone else, Carl Warner, who actually now works at Channel 4 as an um, controller of E4. He, um, he, he answered some questions as well. Because mm-hmm. he was at BBC3 at the time. And when I started to do those industry interviews, it just started to build up. Like mm-hmm. people then started, started to sign up to the newsletter and then people were reacting to things that I was putting out on social. There was actually getting hits and clicks and views. So it really just started off as a really small project for myself. Right. And I think that's a lesson doing things what you 
doing what you enjoy and doing it for yourself rather than saying, I'm going to do this because it's going to get me clout or it's going to get me this. It's like, because it's you and you enjoying it, that's where the long nights don't feel like long long nights, for example. Mm. So I think it started off as a hobby and it just grew. And then over the years, more interviews. Um, Then we started to cover the London Film Festival. I think that was the biggest deal because you have to apply to be registered press for the Mm. London Film Festival. And obviously it's the biggest film event in London of the year. Yeah. And you have to apply for accreditation. And I thought, me, this little small blog, I'm filling in like the application form with my low number of hits compared to what Evening Standard, Daily Mail, like um, all those big film empire magazines and stuff like that. And then they said yes. And I was like, oh, okay, they said yeah. So that meant I got to be on like red carpet. I got to go to all the events and screenings or report on the films and stuff like that. So that was the first time I felt, wow, okay, people are actually like taking this a bit seriously. Mm. Um, in terms of the feeling, the fear and doing it anyway, um, I, I would say when it started to like go into interviewing talent myself, like I'm not a presenter. <laughs> I've never, <laughs> I could do like an interview over email or on the phone, fine. <laughs> but like to sit, Go into, you know, the junket rooms mm. and sit opposite an actor and like, you say, okay, you've got three minutes and you've got to ask this question and blah, blah, blah. And what I tended to do when I ever did red carpet stuff, I would hire a presenter and, a, and someone with a film, the film camera. So one person who used to do do a lot of scene TV stuff was Rhea, Rhea Hebden. She's now actually on GM. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. TV? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So she's done amazing things, but she always used to be my presenter on the red carpet, like Screen Nation Awards and stuff like that, and she'd have her camera person. But then it starts to get just really tricky getting people who are available, because sometimes it's tomorrow, you've got three minutes, come prepared sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. So I remember there was one time, like, I'm going to have to do this myself. <laughs> I'm going to have to do this myself. And I was scared. I can't remember what my first one, um, I think my first one must have been... Um, Oh, um, I want to say Persa Leska, but it's not. I can't remember my first one. I would say my first big one, American one, John David Washington. I would say him. He was probably like my early sort of big mainstream type person. He was in Black Klansman and he's also in Tenant coming up. John um, Denzel Washington's son. Yeah. And he was in Ballers at the time. And I remember going into that thinking, oh my gosh, it's like the first time I've been interviewed directly like an American face-to-face with a junket. And I was really, really scared um, because the room is silent and everyone's just staring at you. <laughs> um, but I just did it. I was like, what is the worst that can happen? Mm-hmm. I can embarrass myself in front of this gorgeous man. Oh, I could walk away with a really cool interview and just something to tick off my own personal boss. Yeah. And, and something that's character building. And I like doing things that are character building and pushing me out of my comfort zone. Right. I'm naturally, a res- I would say, a reserved person. My friends might say otherwise, but I keep myself to myself. I'm a reserved person. And I initially thought I didn't really have the right personality for media because I was convinced that you had to be have big, bold, loud personalities, be yeah, super yeah. confident and outgoing. And I'm just like, just little old me, okay, sort of thing. That um, is how I remember you, though. But like, but in a good way, I always remember, the, I always remember that when you were around your friends, you're mm. always like the life and soul of the party. But in, in mm. terms of like it growing and it being other people, like, Huh? You right? <laughs> that, that really like warms me because it means I've got really great self awareness because that's exactly how I feel like I come across. I'm really like 
bubbling with my friends, but with people that I don't know, I am quite reserved. And sometimes I feel like, oh, do people think I'm really stush or something? But I just feel like, nah, who cares? No, I'm joking. <laughs> I just feel like I'm reserved. <laughs> so again, it was something that was pushing me out of my comfort zone because I had to mm. be my like reserved, quiet self. I had to try and bring some extraness to the interview. And it turned out to be a great interview and he seemed to enjoy it. He was really smiley and friendly. I was like, wow, okay, I did it. And I think that was a great lesson in that he, these people are human beings, but what is the worst that can happen? Seriously. And the same way I'm nervous, they might be nervous. Yeah. So I feel like feeling that fear and doing it anyway, it, it was such an achievement for me. And I've gone on to do other interviews and mm-hmm. managed to interview Barry Jenkins, who is one of my favourite directors um, and obviously Oscar winning for Moonlight. And just having those, just even sometimes looking back at those things, knowing that I'm not that type of person who wants to be in front of the camera anyway. Um, yeah, it's a real sort of achievement. So, Would you say that taking yourself out of your comfort zone has enabled you to have the success that you have had? And do you think it's important for other people to do so? I would say yes. There are still some things at my big age that I'm like still nervous about doing. Mm-hmm. And there's things I've got on my list that I'm like, just do it, just mm-hmm. do it. Because I know what happens when you do it. Because the fear is in your head. Wow. The fear really is in your mind. Because when you break it down and just like, it's just talking to, for example, like the interview, it's literally just having a conversation with somebody. Mm-hmm. But you build it up to like, oh, there's cameras around, it's a junket, it's this film, it's, it's that person. And it's like, you're, you're building the fears on it yourself. It's artificial. Um, so I think every time I push myself at my fear, even when it came to the Team Vogue situation, that was a bit nerve-wracking in that I was sending out emails to all these companies to try and like secure like an international work placement in New York. I always just wanted to go to New York. Um, but I'll be going out there by myself. Yes, I'll be like living with family. But it was a bit of an adventure. All I had known is the UK. Um, and I would say even before that, I think maybe one thing that pushed me into doing it, I remember I applied for a marketing um, placement at a big agency and it had required you to be there for three years, which is quite long for me anyway, be there for three years. But in each year, you had to move around internationally. So whether that be in America or in South America, you'd have to go to one of their offices. And I remember I got through to the first round and then I had a, I had, a, I had second thoughts. And I would say that the fear probably got me on that one. Mm. And I pulled out of the process. And it was a number of reasons. It was like being away from my family, who I'm really yeah. close to. I was in a relationship at the time too. So mm. ladies, do not give up any opportunity for a man. <laughs> That's lesson number one, okay? <laughs> but no, I wanted to be in London, basically. And the, the, the thought of going away for three years internationally, even though it would have been an amazing adventure, I, I just couldn't. And I was young at the time, I would say. Yeah. Um, so I, I pulled out of that. And I think in the New York thing, it was almost like me redeeming myself just to say, this was probably like a couple of years later. Yeah. And I was like, I have to do this for myself. I have to do it because one, it's going to build my character. Um, two, it's going to be something like a great memory. Um, and it has gone on to help me in my subsequent career, even mm. even from like making links and relationships with people. Yeah. Um, or even, you know, being able to say that on my CV or my website or like in an introduction to somebody, it does like people go, oh, okay, that's really cool. Tell me more. So, 
that's that's the note on the pushing through your fear. It can, I think, it's necessary. Um, how to do that? I think you've got to work out that trick for yourself personally. How's best to do that? I think for me, it's just the breaking down of what what really is this? What am I what, what am I actually scared about? And I even writing it down. What are my fears with this situation? And once you've got that down on paper and you read them over. And you're like, what's the worst can, that can happen with each point? You realise it's it's built up in your head. A lot of it is doable. Mm. A lot of it's doable. You've just got to sort of break it down into something that is like manageable and bite-sized pieces. And another thing I man- I try to do as well is sometimes when you've got a big goal in mind, it can be overwhelming. Mm. Oh, it's not possible. I can't do that. I can't do that. But it's again, it's breaking it down to them. There's a small step. So even with the New York thing, for example, it's like, okay, all I need to do, first step, find a list of companies in New York. Second step, draft an email. Next step, send the email. Next step, if they are invited to interview, plan what you're going to say. Then have the interview. I mean, once I sort of broke it down into those step by steps, by the time you're like. At step eight, you're like, oh, wow, I'm here now. Oh, I'm happy I've got to book my flight. Like, it's no longer an overwhelming task. Yeah. I think we just look at things as too big. And once you break them down, it becomes a lot more manageable. That's really good. So how does it feel to be in the hot seat with being (laughs) asked the questions? (laughs) Rather than asking the questions. Yeah, um... I think it's a little bit what we were saying pre this interview and that I know it's almost like a, and I don't want to sound super, super worthy because I know I'm not anybody. Please, I'm a small, small girl from South London. But it's even in like just the feeling of like, it's my duty almost now. I feel like whether I feel comfortable speaking on camera or not, I'm hoping in what I say or, you know, what I've been able to do. And again, I want to, I'm emphasizing, I'm not a superstar here, but in the small things that I've been able to do, mm-hmm. hopefully that will feed back down to someone and they're like, wow, okay, cool. The same way June did it for me. When yeah. I was just seeing her, the visibility and someone making it look so easy. I'm hoping I make it sound like this is not impossible for anyone. Um, and like going through uni growing up, I knew I wanted to do marketing, I knew I wanted to work in entertainment somehow. Yeah. I didn't know anyone in yeah. that field. I didn't... Even June, yeah, she was on screen, but she wasn't doing what I wanted to do. So yeah. Yeah. I didn't know anyone. I didn't have any of my family members in that field. So really, I was going blind. So yeah. almost like now that I am maybe like in an industry and I'm working in marketing and someone might want to be doing that job, let me be that visible voice, that visible, well, visible person, that heard voice sort of thing to... So I don't mind it so much now, and I think I've gotten used to talking about it. I think it's when it's your own experience, it, it's it's all right. Ask me to give a, a presentation on something a bit more, you know, abstract than I might struggle. But I think this is it's like my journey, so so I think it's fine. I feel a bit more comfortable. And this is all voice and not video, so I might feel different if it was video. <laughs> so why is um, inclusion? important oh by the way those were really great points are really um why is inclusion important to you because I, I note that that's also on your um on your website and yeah. a few other places like linkedin and things like that yeah 
why is it so important for you? Obviously, you mentioned about like watching people and not seeing yourself, but yeah, other than that obvious. Yeah, I think it's. I think it even helps for just it, the experience of living as a minority, and I'm putting that in um, quote marks in this country because obviously in the world we're not. <laughs> I mean, let's get that right. <laughs> As a minority in this country, just to, I don't want to make it sound like I'm doing it for other people to understand black people better, but I think just as a as a sort of way of being represented and seen and have other people see you in your truth. What I got really frustrated with when I was growing up on TV is the stereotypes. So again, I think that was my next that's my chat. One, first, it's like black people on screen. Second, it's diverse stories of black people on screen. Because what I grew up with was the bill. I love the bill, but I mean, every black person was a criminal or a drug dealer. <laughs> I mean, and the news, again, I love Crime Watch, but again, every other black other criminal was a black person. Like, those were the only times, apart from Trevor McDonald and Jason Park, it's like, and the Roma Coy Desmonds, which were great. But I mean, you hardly saw black people that was a narrative outside of crime or poverty. And I think as both as a black person, seeing that can be demoralizing yeah. and frustrating. And also as someone from outside the black community, mm-hmm. just consider what it's, see what it's like for them watching that on screen and that being the only experience for a lot of people in this country that they see of black people. Right. The people living in Cumbria or other remote countries, I think we have the privilege of living in London. Yeah. And like I said, I had the privilege of growing up around black people all my life until uni. Um, but other people seeing that constant imagery on screen, I think that's really damaging. Yeah. I think it's damaging for us and I think it's damaging for everybody else. I remember when I went to uni and I did my master's, it, it was international, so there were a lot of international students. And I remember a girl from Thailand she came and at the end of our year-long course, she like, pulled me aside. She was like, Michelle, like, um, and I don't want this to be like I'm giving her a pat on the back for this because whatever. She's um, like, Michelle, like, I want to just say something to you. Like before, obviously, when I was in Thailand, there's no black people in Thailand. So all I saw of black people was this gang-gang, pow-pow sort of situation. And so being in London, it really just opened up my eyes. And I'm like, I'm on the phone, I'm talking to my parents and I'm talking to like, my boyfriend is back in time just saying, oh no. Even when they say something, I'm like, oh no, no, no. Black people are not like that. Like, yeah. black people are like this. Or there's different experiences or there's different stories. Like, and I don't want it to be like this respectability politics situation where like I'm, I'm shying away from, you know, an experience that is, you know, black people do have. I'm just saying there's other experiences that, mm. you know, you, we, I didn't see growing up and people still don't see now. So mm. that's why I'm so passionate about inclusion and I think that sort of spilled over into the work that I did with Brothers With No Game, which was a web series which was started by a group of guys who are like my friends, mm. who are not, again, from the TV world. One is like a writer-director now. Um, but again, they were just writing about their experiences as black men, yeah. dating with women, with life. And then it got transformed into a web series. Yeah. And I came on board to do the marketing for it for the launch. So ended up doing a lot of PR around it. It was featured in The Guardian, Evening Standard, a lot of American sites picked it up, like Vibe, yeah, uh, yeah. Gossip and things like that. And it went quite international. A lot of the viewers were in the States, for example. But that was just 
I, I love that. To this day, I'll always use that as like one of the proudest moments, even though I didn't write myself, but just to work on it and launch yeah. it. And it was again before I started working at, on Channel at Channel 4. Um, and the stories were just like, that was my, that's me. Like growing up, not surrounded by lots of crime, not to say that that's, you know, not some people's experiences, but just going through life, like love, relationships, career, work, you know all those other tales that are to be told yeah. that I think they told those tales so well. And I think at the time there was such a, a surge of that web series. Yeah. Uh, Venus vs. Mars was out and about. And um, obviously Daniel Zashley had her series too. So mm. I think there was just, dear Jesus. So there was just a lot that was happening at the time. It just felt like such a positive movement. And I will just sort of really cherish that time because it is still so important and I will say that when I went to Channel 4 and I had my interview and I talked about that they were so impressed that mm. um, I used my own initiative to use my marketing yeah. academic background and apply it to something on my own Yeah. so I will say that to people who are trying to look for that career look for experience sometimes you don't even have to go into an organisation like especially marketing you might have a friend who's launching a cake business mm-hmm. they might need someone that's going to help them with a promotion like start there yeah. Like look around in your circles for those opportunities and you'd be surprised about how you can swap and share skills. And I think it's important to sort of build that ecosystem within the community where we are bringing our steel skills back yeah. to help each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so even now, I think with this, the whole sort of Black Lives Matter movement, um, it has made me even personally really conscious about the choices that I make in terms of Mm-hmm. who I'm working with or who I'm buying things from. My friend, Alison Abuyera has got a great platform called It's Black Owned. Yeah. And just highlighting black businesses. And I consciously now do that. So if I'm going to buy hair stuff, like where am I going to get my hair stuff from? Yeah. If I need an accountant, like let me see what black accountants are out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just important that we are sharing our skills back within that community. So I would encourage people even remove race aside, anyone who's trying to get into any sort of industry, look within your community and amongst your peers mm. um, because you can get some valuable experience there. I think it was Issa who said something really interesting. I can't remember how many years ago it was, but she was talking about everyone wants to network up, but actually mm. network across. Girl, and that's a word. That, <laughs> I know there was a few of us who were like, what did she say? Exactly, Dadim. <laughs> what did she say like because we had we had already been kind of thinking about that and even if when you talk about like brothers with no game obviously they Mm. they were your friends but you also were invested in in the the vision that they had yeah and you saw it was a it was a mutual passion because you were able to deliver on something that that was great and had amazing views but even before that it was no this is actually an amazing product and I want to invest and and again, that's another reason why I wanted to start this podcast was because I, w- I was just thinking about all the people that I know. And again, it was a bit like a moment for me, like, I know, I know some fabulous people. <laughs> I know some really fabulous people. And for some people, I haven't like spoken to them for, for years. Like even you, I haven't caught up with you for a really long time. But the fact that it's all love whenever I see you. Yeah, of course. And then 
whenever I see some of the other people. And also, just want to shout out SFX, right? Because there's a lot of us. Listen, who, who, who allow, you know, you know, just doing a couple things here and there. Not going to name any particular names, but you know, exactly. hold tight, Bernie Ballers. Even though he was roaming the common room, we were on this. Okay, we were on this. It's true. SFS has, has like really turned out some dope people. I can't lie, and it really is about helping and supporting and like you said, investing back into the people that are around you, but then, you know, giving back to those who want to get into the industry. And even sometimes it's, it's, sometimes it's not even about the particular industry that you're in. Sometimes it's just by you speaking out and saying your truth may then encourage somebody else to do whatever it is, is their own truth. And that could be finance, it could be uh, launch a business, or it could be to work for... uh, NASA, for example. Yeah, and, and that's think, it because it, is, it can take the smallest sort of seed to be planted and you never know where it's going to end up. So that's what I can only hope it does if, if I talk. It's to just, you know, oh, something might stick with somebody. If it's one person, I hope it does stick with one person. But if it is just one person, then cool. Yeah. Like job done at that point. So what does it mean to you to be successful? Ooh, girl. <laughs> You're really coming for the big question. <laughs> I would say that over the years, years it's definitely changed. Ooh. I was saying coming up in the industry, my idea of success was like, I always wanted to work at Channel 4. Channel 4 was a company I always wanted to work at. Wow. Um, I always wrote it down like, that's the TV network that I want to work at Channel 4. Don't want to work at anywhere else. Even like now, I'm like, mm. none of the other broadcasters wow. are touching it for me. But... Um, so my, my idea of success was very tied to career. I'll even go back. My idea of success was, when I was younger, was very tied to academic mm. academic grades. And I think that's most young people because that's all they sort of tell you, which I think is a problem anyway. <laughs> that's a tell for another story. Um, another time, I mean. Um, so acad- academic grades was number one. Then it became career. And then career was the, the marker of success for a long time. Yeah. I think a lot of, and I think it's even when you asked me at the beginning, I, um, who, who are you? What do you do? Mm-hmm. I paused for a second because I think I'm getting more used to not, even though I did it, I'm getting more used to not describing myself in terms of what I do mm. because I'm not my career. And I think it, you, you get to a point, or I got to a point where I had to separate myself from that a little bit because I think we're so pushed into defining ourselves or becoming our job and say oh well I'm this and I'm a writer even when you ask someone you're like oh what's your name what do you do it's like yeah my name's Michelle I work in marketing at a tv company like is that who you are is that really who you are and I had to really start questioning that because if I found I was doing a lot for my career the staying up late the working all hours the doing the extra even for CTV like doing channel four work going to see a TV screening or an interview in the evening, coming home to transcribe that interview, um, staying up till morning, then having to get up to go to work the next day. And people really idolise that hustle sort of movement. Mm. And I really bought into that big time. Yeah, I think a lot of us did. Big time. And what ended up happening was that I got super burnt out. And I I was burnt out for a very long time. Mm. Um, And then just a sense of like, what am I striving for here? I'm going round and round on this sort of hamster wheel, but again, trying to fulfil what? 
exactly. And I think it's because I was conditioned to feel like career success is success. But I feel like like a year ago, I got like a bit ill and I take some time off work. And I think in that period of time, it really challenged me to think about, okay, if you get sick and God forbid, anything happens, touch wood, they're just going to employ someone else tomorrow. Like, why are you you killing yourself? There's one thing about, there's one thing to be like super passionate about what you do and be committed and do your work. Great. That's what we all should be doing. But to like be running yourself ragged for hustle game. Oh yeah, please. I don't have time for that anymore. So I think to me, success has always almost sort of been redefined in terms of feeling healthy. That's number one for me. Your health is everything. So to me, feeling healthy, and that means am I getting enough rest? Am I getting enough self-care? Am I getting enough downtime? Feeling fulfilled in terms of not just career, but family and the relationships around me. Am I feeding enough energy to those? Because I definitely wasn't before. Yeah. Um, and I guess like being fulfilled and content also comes with just experiences. I am a very experienced type of person, whether that is like meeting up with friends or traveling or seeing something or doing something new. Yeah. To me, to sort of get to the end of my life and feel like, oh, I've had these amazing experiences. I've had these amazing, fulfilling relationships with people. I'm healthy. I've lived a long life because I have been healthy and kind to my body and kind to myself, Um, kind to my mental health as well, being emotionally stable. And even this year, I picked up therapy, counselling for the first time. Mm -hmm. Um, Being, having a great relationship with God, my faith is important to me. And that's something, I guess, when you're in the hustle game, you can put that on the back burner. Yeah. Um, but just really honing back into your why and your purpose and why you're doing something has been really transformative, I would say, in the last couple of years. And it might mean that I've, over the years, I've had to say no to things. Things that I, not even over the years, over recent times, I would say, people are like, I'm Michelle, the same way brothers with no game happened. They're like, I'm Michelle, can you help out with this project? And they do market experience. I've had to be like, let me think on that for a second. And let me analyze everything that I'm doing at the minute. Wow. Let me think about this project. I don't think I can do it, but here's someone who can. Or wow. here's someone else who's got that experience, which is much more in line with what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. I've had to start saying no to things, whereas my old self would have been like, yeah, yeah, passion project, passion project, I'm down. But that idea of success is different for me now. And how have you learned how to say no? Yeah, that's hard because I actually had a book by Shonda Rhimes. This is what tripped me up, actually. Shonda Rhimes wrote a book saying the year of yes. And I remember getting that book and thinking it was more about saying yes to opportunities because you never know what it's going to take you. And I lived by that philosophy for quite a long time. And to be fair, it did work well, like saying yes to the celebrity interviews. Yes, that was feeling the fear and doing it anyway. But I've had to yeah, reverse that slightly and just be like the year of no. Um, I think the way I've done it is that I've, always try to help in another way so like I said if I can't do it but like you both you and I both know we've got great networks I might not be the right person but there's someone else who might be suitable for this yeah yeah. I'm happy with making introductions so I feel better in my spirit Mm. that I've helped in some way but I'm not like all the way involved Mm. so it might even be it doesn't maybe you don't have a contact but it might just be like you share share the news on in a WhatsApp group or mm. you give them a few pointers saying, like, I can't be involved, but here's my yeah. top line thoughts. You go away and explore it now. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So I find it easier because I still feel like I'm helping in some way. Yeah. But I'm not helping to the point where I'm running myself ragged anymore. Yeah. Well, I've been uh, talking about self-care and stuff on social media a little bit as well. So I can understand uh, the importance and like you said about a lot of us buying into that whole hustle hard because uh, it was a few years where like, it was like yeah we're hustling we're hustling we're hustling we love that isn't it <laughs> but there was a few of us who were like I'm tired now tired I'm so tired and yeah learning that place of rest and learning what it is for you that's going to make you feel fulfilled is, is definitely key yeah. and uh, important as well yeah there was all that, oh, I'll sleep and I'm dead narrative. Oh, please, I don't want to die. Please, I want to be healthy and live a very fulfilled life. So please, yeah. don't wish that on me. <laughs> but I think there's still a way of hustling, but you just hustle smarter. And I think over Ooh. the years, that's what I've learned to do. Where everything doesn't have to be a yes. You've got to be really selective about what you're doing and your why for doing it. Like I said, if it's just for clout or just because you love it, then maybe that will work for you. But I think now I'm picking things like, how is this like fulfilling my purpose and ultimately what I want to do? Um, and the dreams that I said, you know, when I said, oh, this things I want to do that I'm still scared of doing, like how is this project going to help me fulfill that or overcome that fear or overcome that barrier? Mm. Just being a lot more selective. So um, yeah, I'm still a hustle girl at heart. That would never die in me. Like I'm all, I'm, I've never been someone who's just worked my job. I've always yeah. had side, side piece, side piece, look at me. Yeah, I was going to side piece. <laughs> a side hustle. So um, yeah, that's never going to change. I'm always going to be that person. Mm. working on more than one thing but I'm just a lot more selective about how I'm hustling nowadays yeah so with the side hustles that you have done or even just through your day job Mm. like what's been a scenario or a situation where you've taken the biggest L Mm. and and thus coming back from it and thus come back from it Mm. I'm trying to think of like one scenario um, a big, I don't take L's, you know. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm a perfection, I'm a Virgo. We don't take L's. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, oh, sad. No, but I wouldn't, I can't, do you know what? I seriously can't say there's been like one big L. I mean, there's in situations where I've interviewed someone, I'm like, oh, that didn't go well and stuff like that. There's definitely moments where things haven't gone well. Mm. But um, I would say generally, because I am a perfectionist, when things don't go well, I do, did, still do, take it to heart. It it knocks me a little bit. Mm. So, and that's always been, even at work, I remember, like, I would do maybe some, say if something didn't get signed off, like a trailer didn't get signed off in time, which means you've run over budget, Right. People are pissed and angry. I would really take that to heart. Like, oh, I've let someone down. I'm not good at my job. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially being the only black person somewhere, you feel like, oh, look, now look, the black person is making mistakes. So what am I doing? I'm letting my whole people down. My ancestors are crying, looking at me in shame. <laughs> you put that pressure on yourself. And I think I put that pressure on myself a lot just to be like perfect or mm-hmm. to do things right. Um, I've had to change that yeah 
Um, and it's still a work in progress to know that, yeah, you, you can get things wrong. You can say the wrong thing. Breathe and let it go. I think I, I still hold onto those L's. Those, even those small L's, I hold onto them a little bit too long than necessary. But I think I've had to work on my own way of trying to like meditate my way through them. Like, did, did you die? Did anybody die? Hmm? Are you still living? Are you still breathing? They will forget tomorrow, please. Like, it'll be old news in five hours. Did you die? <laughs> like, I've had to, I mentally have to say that to myself. Like, it's fine. Breathe, let it go. And I think that's a struggle for a perfectionist Virgo out here in these streets. But I'm trying. <laughs> I'm really trying. I'm getting there. I'm trying, though. Mm-hmm. It's still an ongoing journey. I think that's what you've got to be forgiving of yourself. Like, no one's going to be the complete person that they are at any age. There's always going to be that constant growth. And I think that's what I've recognised that. And I'm excited about growing. I'm, gonna, I'm excited about, like, knowing how to be a better friend. Knowing, because that, there are definitely times I've put my hand up because of hustle game I haven't been. Yeah. Knowing how to be a better family member. Yeah. Knowing how to be a better communicator. I, I was a trash communicator when I was younger. I've had to learn how to be better over the years. Um, again, it's from a feel of, you know, angering people, upsetting people, letting people down. Like, I had to learn that sort of behaviour. And I think yeah. that's just helped me both in career yeah. and also in my personal life. That's good. Mm. Well, we have come to the final section of the podcast. Oh, that was good, girl. That felt like therapy. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I'm glad it felt like therapy. That was good. Um, so the last section of the podcast is Revelations. Mm. And it's a quick fire round. Mm, okay. So you have to tell me the first thing that comes into your mind. So I'll give you <laughs> any I'm terrible at this. <laughs> so if I was to say to you, chocolate, what's the first thing that comes into your mind? <laughs> the PG version of it. <laughs> I'm joking. Don't put that in. <laughs> like Catherine's daddy, no. Um, <laughs> I would say, um, chocolate, I would say sweets. That was literally the first thing that came to my mind, sweets. <laughs> oh. uh, so, the first one for Revelations is time I wake up. Seven. Usual breakfast. Toast with margarine and honey and a cup of tea. Most played song. Oh, I would say T.J. Moses, something from her album. Complex Simplicity. Last TV show you watched? Line of Duty. I'm re-watching Line of Duty, which is a BBC One show. Ah, it bangs. It's so good. It's so good. Favourite book? Oh, <laughs> I'm trying to sound intellectual here, but I'm going to say Twilight. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Half of a Yellow Sun. <laughs> Current food craving? Oh, I made some like chocolate chip cookies the other day with spelt flour. So Ooh. they're really nice and they're healthy. Nice. Mm. Uh, my safe place. My home. 
I feel like that's my sanctuary where I shut off from the rest of the world. And that is definitely my safe, safe place. Wow. Thank you so much for doing the interview. Uh, how can people get in touch with you and like, if they want to reach out or want to know a little bit about you? Cool. So I have a website. Um, it's IamMichelleAwalsu.com. And then you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Michelle Shanti. So it's M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E-S-H-A-N-T-I. Thank you. Thank you so much for doing the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been fun, like therapy, like I said. (laughs) It's been brilliant catching up with you. I'm glad you had fun. Yeah, it was brilliant. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Please don't forget to share, subscribe and connect with us on social media at The Reveal Pod.